Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Today we're having a, um, a chat with a, another guest, um, Mark Trainer from Managing Director from Stack Capital. Welcome, Mark. Hey, how are we? Very well. Thank you for joining us. Um, I know there's so much um, interest at the moment around rising interest rates. So what better um, person to invite on our podcast than someone that works in that area, knows all about what's happening in that environment and can, you know, provide a lot of um, intel, I guess, for our audience. Um, So we're really looking forward to picking your brain, uh, sharing some of the information that you um, know and, and have about you know what we're seeing out there in the, the banking environment and how that's also impacting who's borrowing um, and what that's likely to do in terms of um, you know the future supply pipeline because I know a lot of the work that you do is in that development space is that right yeah that's right so so Mark just give us a little bit of an overview from from Stack yeah okay. what you guys do who you, who you lend money to just a, a bit of an overview so the listeners understand. Yeah, okay. So, so Stack Capital started five years ago as a core business was commercial finance. So Dale, my business partner, and I, we were both commercial bankers for 15 to 20 years. Uh, don't think I'm that old. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we, we're always commercial bankers. And so the core of our business uh, from the start was a lot of property development finance as well as business commercial finance. And then we went into home lending as well later on. Yep. So uh, so that's become an add-on. So we now do everything from mum and dad consumer home lending through to uh, large project finance. So you're getting re- a really good broad perspective in terms of what this rising interest rate environment is doing across the board, across all lending sectors. And yeah, that's so. what we're really interested to dive into today because I know there's a lot of um, you know brokers that just deal in that residential space and they're not actually capturing what, what's happening outside of that residential lending. So, yeah, really interested to dive into that. So do you want to jump straight into the interest rate side of it? It seems to be the flavour of... It is. Well, so, I was going to say flavour of the month. I don't know yeah, how it's been well, going for Flavour of the last couple of months. Yeah. But yeah, we've gone from the Reserve Bank telling everyone that they're not putting interest rates up till 2024 to all of a sudden jamming them up very quickly and saying that they're going to, uh, they don't know where normal uh, is, where they're trying to head for. They've, they've said that rates are too low and they get back to a normal level, but they don't know where that is. Uh, most of the banks now are, yeah, we've had 1.35, or at 1.35, so we've had 1.25% increases. And uh, most pundits are forecasting that again yeah. uh, in the very short term. Uh, and then on top of that, which I think a lot of people probably don't realise is that in just after March 2020 when COVID hit, all of the banks were given three-year money from the Reserve Bank at 0.1%, which was called the Term Funding Facility. So in March next year, that starts rolling off and the banks are going to have to replace that pretty much free money yeah. with wholesale market money, which will come at a much higher rate, obviously. So. Uh, banks' cost of funds are going to shoot up then as well, um, which means that we'll probably see banks increasing interest rates uh, without the Reserve Bank moving rates. So, well so interest rates, obviously, for, for just like, as a general sort of guide for people, and, and you said you didn't want to show your age, 
I, I've told people before, if people haven't heard it, the first property I purchased, I was paying about 19% interest rates. Mm. So a little bit different to what they're at now. Yeah, um, And I remember just before the GFC, I locked in my home loan. I thought I was a superstar when I locked it in at 8.25%. So, so what's and, normal uh, then? Well, and that's a good question, right? Because, I mean, I think when you compare, when you talk about I had an interest rate at 18 19%, but what was your house value relative to your income, it was a lot lower. Yeah. And I mean, this is just economics that as debt gets cheaper, people are willing to pay more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look now, uh, people are buying based upon, well, I've, I've only got a two, 3% interest rate. Mm. Uh, so they're willing to spend more if you're paying an 18% rate. There, there's no way anyone would be paying what they pay for houses these days. Yeah. So we have seen a structural increase of house values relative to incomes yeah. over the decades really now. Um, so it's uh, it's not really comparable. I mean, where's the normal rate? I mean, this is the problem that the Reserve Bank actually doesn't know yeah. where normal is. I don't think anyone really knows. I mean, everyone's got an opinion on it, I guess, but, uh, but <laughs> those opinions vary a lot. Yeah. And I know um, with the residential funding that has been, you know, provided to consumers over the last three or so years, it's all been assessed at a rate 25 or 3% above mm. the, the offered rate by banks is that also um relative to commercial lending yes uh it just depends on it's it's not legally mandated i guess so with home lending apra which is the governing body for banks they actually tell the banks what interest rate they have to use it as an as an absolute minimum Mm -hmm. so that actually used to be i think it was seven and a quarter percent um and then it came down to a bottom of 5.25% yeah. and, or I think 2.5% um, as a minimum. So it's yeah. either five and a quarter or 2.5% more than what the rate, uh, the actual rate is, whichever's the higher. Um, I think it's been bumped now to 25 or 3%. I have to ask my home loan brokers exactly what, the, yeah. what that rule is. Uh, but uh, so many you know, people have been getting assessed. And I guess that's part of the you know, people panicking about, uh, about Gee, my interest rate's going to three and a half, four percent. Can I afford this? Well, to get the home loan in the first place, the bank did assess you at at oh, least right. five and a quarter percent, yeah. maybe higher. So you technically probably can afford it. Um, having said that, inflation is another yeah. thing that adds to that because obviously the, the cost of your grocery bills and everything else is jammed up as well versus probably when you got your home loan. And let's also talk about wages because obviously, you know, every individual that takes out a loan is assessed based on their specific serviceability and that's based on the income that they have either from their employment in pay-as-you-go income or from, you know, business activities, other income that they might have from other investment sources. Mm -hmm. Now, that's obviously relative to their line of work and potentially um, some higher income earners are going to uh, be impacted a lot less in this rising impact, rising interest rate environment um, compared to lower income earners. What's your yeah, thoughts on that? I think that's definitely true. I mean, you, I guess we saw as part of the federal election that that lower income earners, Labor promised a pay rise, I think it was 5% or so, for low income earners. And that 5% we're seeing inflation at, at least 5%, mm. uh, probably more. Uh, so I think low-income earners are probably feeling the pinch a lot more. Mm. Uh, I shouldn't say probably, they definitely are feeling the pinch a lot more, particularly when you see rents going up and mm. cost of living going up and your wage only going up 5% and then take tax out of that. Um, so you're probably going further behind if you're if you're a low-income earner. But 
we've got on the other side of the equation people who are on big incomes. And I guess if you're talking about people buying one, two or more million dollar houses, yeah, they're going to be people on pretty reasonable incomes. Now, whether they're saying they're construction or they're in mining or they're just white collar workers in any sort of industry, I mean, we're seeing you know, people that I talk to in businesses across pretty much every industry, wages are just getting pushed up at record levels. You know, mm. you've got you've got unemployment rate at three point something percent. Now, I mean, it's always been said that four percent is about full employment, mm. which means yeah, technically I've heard people saying, you know, even the dull bludgers are working. <laughs> so, so you know, you've got businesses who are trying to hire. It's hard work. Mm. We're trying to hire an office manager right now, and it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to. Businesses everywhere are seeing wages really get pushed up because there is just a complete lack of staffing. So yeah, we're, I'm often hearing of wages going up, in certainly in white collar, going up 10, 15, 20% mm. uh, within a year. Yeah. Uh, so those people who are, if you're an employee and you're on 100, dollars $200,000 a year, it's probably a fairly good chance. Your wages, if they haven't already gone up, by a material amount, they probably are going to go up. Yeah. If they haven't, you probably should ask. Yeah. <laughs> but and, and what's interesting about that even, if we look at um, employment data, Queensland as a, um, a state has actually had the greatest volume of new job um, vacancies. So yeah. the jobs growth in, in Queensland, and a lot of that actually comes through into southeast Queensland and Brisbane as the capital city. Um, you know, we've outpaced other states, which is very unusual for, mm. for us. But um, again, this has all happened off the back of COVID, um, lifestyle shifts potentially. Um, we've also got, you know, record population growth again. Interstate migrants are flocking to Queensland and again, especially the southeast corner. So, you know, the opportunity for employment is improving in, in our area. Um, more and more people are relocating to our area. And this is all putting pressure on housing availability. And, you know, unfortunately, as you've rightly pointed out, we've got a situation where we're going to have um, some people on rising incomes who can afford to, you know, they'll just ride out like this this change in the interest rate environment, environment regardless of the fact that um, the cost of living is also increasing because there's going to be that, that upward pressure on wages. But then we've got another population group who are going to potentially struggle. Their incomes are not going to be rising at the same pace as inflation and, and the cost of living. So, you know, we, we're going to see this two-speed market start to eventuate. And, you know, unlike what we saw last year, the rising tide is no longer going to lift all ships. And, and now it's about understanding supply and demand metrics and, and the demand is being influenced by rising interest rates. So I'd love to explore what's happening with supply. And I think you are at the forefront of understanding what's happening in that development pipeline space because you're speaking to developers, whether they're mum and dad developers, um, you know, big business developers, you, you're sort of seeing at the forefront what's actually likely to be built based on what accessibility to funds are like. Can you sort yeah, of give yeah, some insights absolutely. into and that? So, and I think the, the supply uh, market in Brisbane has been a really interesting one over the last five years. You know, I think uh, if you look back to higher density apartments. I think it was about 2017 from memory was when we had the oversupply. The peak, 2016, um, 2017. Yeah, yes, that's right. So uh, there was one and two bedroom, big towers built everywhere, mm. you know, Newstead, West End, Kangaroo Point, you know, every, everywhere within this 
in a ring, I'm an even churn side. Yeah. Um, Mount Bravash, yeah, those are outer, outer hubs that uh, that got oversupplied. Uh, and then it's you know, the the interest for apartments, I guess, dropped off. Yeah. yeah with that oversupply, and and certainly seen, I guess you you see in your line that the house price growth has certainly outstripped apartment growth. Yes. Uh, but now you've got an affordability issue. Yeah. Now on the supply issue, so I guess people haven't, we haven't been, you know, I could count on you know, one, maybe two hands, the number of apartment developments, like larger scale apartment developments that we've done in Brisbane City Council area in the last few years. Mm. You know, the vast majority of the work we've done in the Brisbane City Council area has been um, has been infill land subdivisions. Mm-hmm. So you find, you find a block. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one in yeah. twos or even on the bigger ones, you know, and when I say bigger in, in inverted commas, that bigger where maybe someone's got a, a, an 8,000 square metre block, you know, the, right. the little yes. rarities where it gets cut up into yeah. 10 blocks or something. Mm. Right? We've, we've got a few of those done because there's certainly been a really strong demand for land yeah. to buy, to build a house. So we've got one client who's going to be doing one soon in Ashgrove now try to find a vacant block of land where you can build a brand new house in Ashgrove yeah. because typically yeah. they're pre-war houses, you can't knock them down. Mm. Uh, so demand for those kind of things is massive. Yeah. Um, we've obviously got an affordability issue yes. with housing. I mean, you're now seeing, like, I mean, you're Bracken Ridge, I think, I mean, you're talking about blocks of land or half a million dollars in mm. Bracken Ridge, which is the last suburb in Brisbane City Council the on the north side. Mm. Yeah. So you're realistically getting pretty close to a million dollars for a house and land yeah. to be on the outskirts of the Brisbane City Council area. So there's an affordability issue there. So you know, people want townhouses, mm. but now we've got this thing that's in Brisbane, this just which is a very much a very Brisbane issue where you can't really build townhouses as a developer. It's just not feasible yeah. because the council changed the rules on being able to build townhouses as far as... Uh, I mean, there was this whole, I guess, called the NIMBY, not in my backyard thing. People yes. don't want townhouses in their beautiful yeah. house yeah. area, which is nice if you've got your house and you want to keep the field, but creates a real supply problem. Mm. And the Brisbane City Council brought in a requirement for more car park requirements, mm. which might sound like a nice idea that if I'm buying my townhouse, I want more car parks. But what it's done is made it completely unfeasible for most townhouse projects. Yeah. So we, we see... Not very many townhouse projects in Brisbane City Council area now because it's just developers look at it and it's like the feasibility just does not work. Yeah. The values relative to construction costs and land values, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Stack up. When, you, when you look at it from a developer's point of view, it has to stack up, otherwise you just don't yeah. do the job. Right. So if you, can't, you can't. if you can't put four, three or four townhouses on because yeah. of that car parking side. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, I mean, the, the whole feasibility doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people that don't understand property development, you know, you're you're looking at just buying a house and people see property developers as the as the big bad yep. ugly profit driven people, which you know there there are a fair number of them that might be, but there's plenty of property developers who are just you know, they're just business people who are just doing their thing and want to add genuinely want to add to their community. Mm. But irrespective of how much money the developer might want to make, lenders just won't give mm. a developer money unless the project makes a certain amount of profit. Yep. If the profit margin's not there, you are not getting funding for it. It's not happening. And I think therein lies the the big issue. So, you know, if we can't actually show feasible development projects, the um, developers are not going to get the funds to build these projects and that's going to further contribute to a lack of supply. Now, we already have a tenancy crisis. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing to rent with vacancy rates 
in Brisbane, you know, 0.6% across all of Greater Brisbane. Now, there's some suburbs where vacancy rates are, you know, at absolute critical levels. We had a client who's settling, um, we went to the pre-settlement inspection, uh, which was one day before settlement, and at the pre-settlement inspection, the property manager also attended. The property was uh, listed for rent on um, one day prior, so two days prior to settlement, they already had applications on that property site unseen well over the asking price. So this is the sort of thing that we're seeing it across the city. Families are desperate and when there's nothing to rent, they'll actually put their application in well above asking price, even site unseen. This is what we're seeing more and more of. And it's because there's a lack of supply. And so we talk about, you know, the inability to um, to find feasible development sites, especially for that townhouse space. Now, that came off the back of a change in the city plan here in Brisbane City Council region. Um, back in June 2018, it was called Brisbane's Future Blueprint. And there was a number of things within there, one of which, of course, was the requirement to increase the um, number of car parks required with, with development projects. The other is that um, previously zoned emergent community land could no longer be used for larger townhouse projects. So again, townhouses are, have become this very scarce commodity. And we've been talking in the last uh, number of podcasts about the demand we're seeing on the ground for townhouse buyers. Mm. You know, apparently there's this, this crisis where, you know, property buyers are sitting on the side and no one can afford property. But when we're on the ground and we're seeing how many people are turning up to townhouse inspections, how that's translating through to offers on properties. And I'm not talking all townhouses, I'm talking quality locations, you mm. know, good layouts, etc. There's huge demand and we're seeing still strong price growth in that sector. So it's really interesting that, um, you know, how it all relates back to if we can't get funding because it's not feasible, we're not going to be producing more mm. of. Mm. And then potentially as consumers, we have to shift in, in what we can afford to buy because if we're wanting to stay in a, you know, in a ring of 10 kilometres of the CBD, we certainly can't afford a house anymore. Mm. We've got to consider a townhouse. If we're going to get priced out of a townhouse market, then potentially we've got to look at the unit market. And as you rightly pointed out, there's so many units that were developed off the back of a change in the city plan back in 2014, but they were developed purely for the investment market. So they don't appeal to owner occupiers. So again, we, will we see this shift into the unit market um, and people are making, will perhaps need to make a compromise on how they like to live just to stay in the inner city suburb. So it, it's a consequence of a rapidly growing city and, and potentially some planning issues that have occurred along the way. So, so if you look, market, let's say we go back to that late 2016. Uh, I know we did the last development we did was back around late 2016 uh, and then left it to everyone else. Um, and, and most people stopped doing it as well. Um, if you look at that and then things we've talked about, about, you know, migration up this in, in towards southeast Queensland and Brisbane area, um, we chatted briefly off air and we had, had a laugh about um, when we're talking about people that can't afford things. And I said, well, that won't be your tradies anymore or, or your labourers because um, I know on some of the big projects up here, some of the labourers are getting $80, $90 an hour. Mm. Um, okay. That will probably encourage a lot of people down south to move up here for more people to come sure. up here now for a job. <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if you've got more people wanting to come up here, there's there's employment, there's you've got work, it's more affordable. Mm. Um, we've got this shortage of townhouses and units side sort of things. What are you seeing at, at a very front-end type of level of, of people borrowing money? What's what's the next thing that people are going to build, for, yeah. for example? Yeah. Um, because obviously we can watch building developments and development approvals and see that sort of things. What's happening before that? Who's borrowing money? 
And what's the next part of developments do you think that's going to happen? Uh, look, I mean, developers, developers will always follow what they expect the market to be from the end buyer. Yep. So, I mean, if anything, it's, you know, what are your clients looking at buying? Mm. Because that then ultimately will drive it. So, and a smart developer will look at it, okay, well, if it's mostly owner-occupiers, the investors aren't in the market, it's owner-occupiers, and they build product mm. that's going to that's going to appeal to those buyers. And often developers have to be, to try to look one to two years ahead of the market because mm. by the time they finish building, that's, that's what the market's going to be. If they yeah. built the wrong product, in two years from now, there's no owner occupiers and only investors, and they've got these beautiful, expensive apartments. Then that'll be a problem for them, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, and vice versa, which is what happened five, six years ago when mm. everyone built for investors, and yeah. the investors disappeared. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a really funny point in time. I mean, I think when you talk about rental prices, we need more investors, right? Mm. I mean, there's a massive rental crisis. Yeah. You need investors. <laughs> investors in an interest rate. Uh, in a rising interest rate market, investors are getting worried, right? Mm. Well, I mean, you're literally, by the end of this year, interest rates for investors will be double what they were at the start Beginning. of this year. Yeah. yeah. You were at two and a half, you know, high twos, and you're going to be at you know, close to 5% probably by the end of this year, certainly early next year. Uh, but rents are going up. Yeah. Um, you know, rents have got to keep going up, right? I mean, this yeah, is just supply it. and demand. It's economics 101 that if the supply and demand are out of whack, rents have got to go up. Mm. So you would think that they should catch up. Uh, I mean, there's still, like, unemployment's low. So as much as people are worried about my mortgage repayments are going up, well, with with unemployment low, wages have got to keep getting pushed up. Yeah. Uh, that does create inflation problems. Let's not get into economics. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Theory, interrelated. But, um, yes. but it is all interrelated, right? I mean, it's – and, yeah, I mean – You've got people are getting worried. I mean, I think everyone's looking at Sydney and Melbourne and house price value drops there. Yes. But if Sydney and Melbourne also saw stupidly high increases, mm. their affordability is is a, just a different, different story versus there is the market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just don't have. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I remember talking when I used to work at Macquarie Bank years ago. I remember a uh, one of my colleagues. You know, he would have been on three hundred thousand plus. And you know, so technically in the top 1% of income earners and lived 35 kilometres out from the city yeah. and only owned a $10,000 car, mm. took an hour and a half to get to work and didn't have any money left over at the end of each month. And it's like, you know, how is that the top 1% of income earners? Yeah. And I think that's the harsh reality of a lot yeah. of people in Sydney mm. is that you might be a big income earner, but your house value, your mortgage is so big that... You're tied to it. You're tied to it. And Mm. when you're a lot more sensitive to interest rate rises, I think in Brisbane, our house prices are just a lot lower. Now, yes, our average wages might be a bit lower, but they're not. Our our wages aren't half of what they are in Sydney. So so I think we've got a lot more buffer uh, and a lot more protection against rising interest rates in Brisbane than Sydney and Melbourne do. Mm. Uh, And as you say, I mean, we've got weight, we've got this interstate migration that continues. I mean, Mm. people. People want the lifestyle here, and when you and, and I think those kind of pressures just force that even more, right? Mm, because that's right. as interest rates go up, and gee, my two million dollar mortgage for my really standard house a million miles away from the city in Sydney is killing me. Gee, I could buy something for a million dollars less, have a million dollars lower mortgage. Okay, my wage might be thirty thousand dollars a year less, but a million dollar less 
debt, I'd much rather have yeah. 30 grand lower wage. Mm. So I think that'll only further encourage people to move up okay. here. Especially and I mean, we certainly have the jobs. I mean, we, mm. we did have mm. this period a few years ago where prices down, house values in Sydney and Melbourne were rising, but they weren't rising here mm. because we just didn't have the jobs here. That's right. It's completely swung the other way now. We've got a complete lack of people relative to the jobs. Yeah, every employer that I speak to is screaming out for, for more workers. Yeah. They can't skilled find workers. workers. Mm. Skilled yeah. workers particularly. Anyone who's skilled, yeah. it's just near impossible to find people. Um, so there are jobs here. There's mm. plenty of jobs here. You know, if you want to move from Sydney or Melbourne to Brisbane for a better lifestyle, for a lower mortgage, there are jobs. There's absolutely jobs and you'll yeah. probably get a pretty good wage too. So, yeah. and, and, you look at the, and you look at that then obviously what you're talking about and we talk obviously then there was a bit of hype during the week, earlier in the week, you know, we, we're exactly 10 years, I think they were saying from the Olympics starting. That's got to have an influence on developers as well, what, what they're going to develop. When you look at, is it 59% or something of the main facilities are going to be within five kilometres, whatever, the CBD, like it's going to have an influence on what then developers turn around and say, well, let's start building this yeah. product yeah. because people are going to come and people are going to want to live close to the city yeah. as well. And I think that living close to the city, I think even the going out of COVID, even though we've got COVID outbreaks, I guess, but I guess people are a lot less scared about COVID yeah. outbreaks now than what they were a year or two ago. Yeah. But... Yeah, we saw a lot of people moving out to the outer suburbs. Mm. When every company said you can work from Go home, home, people were moving <laughs> to the to the coat, to the beaches. You yeah, know, it doesn't matter if I live two hours away from work because I don't need to go to work. Well, companies have now been saying it's time to come back to the office. Yeah. So I think I would, yeah, you know, I think people are wanting to come back mm. in a city. Mm. They're wanting to live closer in. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, we're certainly seeing. Demand for owner-occupier product is just still massive. Mm. I mean, a notable one that's just been in the last few weeks. One of our clients is Breyer. Uh, yeah, they, they're pretty well known on social media. They do some really nice product. That Please is certainly all check them out if you, if you haven't already seen <laughs> yeah, their product. Breyer, beautiful product. Uh, certainly owner-occupier targeted. Mm. Yeah, they're not building yeah. four hundred thousand dollar townhouses. No. It, it's nice product. The, their project in Balimba um, that they're just starting now, they've sold 99% of it in a heartbeat. Mm. Like, it didn't need any effort. It, yeah. just, it just sold so like that. So good product and good location, there is a lot of demand for it. I saw, their, uh, I saw their signage on a fence. We went to an um, opens and auctions, I think it was last weekend, the weekend before, up on the hill at Hamilton, mm. looking back down over the river towards the city, and their, their signage was all over a construction site fence there. So. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and they're not the only ones that are they're having no problem selling. I mean, and the interesting thing from a development finance perspective, construction has been the real challenge. Every yeah. developer, construction yeah. is, is killing them, and its labour costs are just out of control. Uh, great if you're a, if you're a construction worker, yep. there's plenty of work up here, um, and you'll get paid really well. But from a development perspective, construction costs are really difficult. We see builders not willing to lock in a price yep. until probably four weeks before they start work. But banks, if you're getting finance for a development through a bank, banks want pre-sales. Mm. Now, we've seen we've seen multiple projects now where developers have had to rip up the pre-sales, which is a terrible situation for the buyers, right? I mean, if you mm. signed a contract at half a million dollars, the developer comes and says, sorry, I have to rip up the contract. You can buy it back at 650000 And it's a terrible experience for, yeah, the, yeah. for the buyer um, and certainly doesn't look good for the developer. 
yeah, unfortunately, the developers are forced, have got their hands forced. I mean, we've got one client at the moment with an apartment project that they've got a bunch of pre-sales and we're now having to tell them, you know, this is really bad, but you're going to have to rip up those pre-sales because we just can't get finance with those sales because those sales are now too far below mm. market value. Your construction cost has yeah. shot up from by literally a couple of million dollars. Their construction cost quotes have come in. And so it just the project just won't work yeah. anymore unless they rip up those contracts. So so it's been a really big thing of I mean the pre-sales, the buyers are there. People mm. want to buy stock, but if anything, developers have to hold back selling it until the right point. Um, so that the project can actually go ahead. Yeah. So what I'm hearing with all of this, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's potentially more and more projects that are being delayed, pushed back, um, stalled, which is going to therefore mean fewer new properties being built, being mm. brought to the market. It's going to contribute even more so yeah, to absolutely. the supply absolutely. issues that and we I think have. It's the, big, the big projects, because construction costs, you know, the bigger the projects, the more sensitive they are to to price rises mm. with construction costs. And we're now seeing stories, I mean, there's been a couple on the Gold Coast in the last week or two where they've been, you know, like we're talking four or $500 million projects that have been canned. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of developers that we talk to who are looking at those bigger apartment projects are saying, oh, you know, I think we just might sit on them now. We're just, we're just not going to develop because the risk of the construction cost is just, is it's just too much risk to take on at the moment. So I'd rather just sit now. Those big apartment projects, they supply a lot of housing yeah. That's right. in one go. So when they don't happen, that's two years from now. Mm. That's yeah, another if, issue. If a, if a 300 apartment building doesn't go ahead, that's 300 people, homes, that people homes families mm. that there aren't to rent out or live in. Mm. So you know, it's if, creating a problem further down the track. And sure if is. people just sit, and this is, look, this is probably something we talk a little bit about it for investors, you know, now is, I think now is still a good opportunity. You know, as, as we've talked about, Brisbane is still affordable. Mm. Um, will it move again? Probably. It, with the demand that's always there, and you keep saying it's supply demand, it's always, it's always the way, but as that demand keep, keeps increasing migration and, everything puts pressure on, it'll keep putting pressure on the market itself. So for people wanting to buy something, to buy and, as you just said, sit on it, it might not be the major big projects. It could be the smaller you know, investments and developments. Yeah. could be smaller developments, for example. Yeah. Um, because if they don't buy it now and they sit and wait and that market moves on them, then you've, you've missed out on that as well. Yeah, Construction yeah. will settle down eventually. It, yeah, it can't right. keep going as crazy as yeah. it is. Yeah. And I think, no actually, way. I mean, most people in the development industry are saying that these big, big projects, like the major four or $500 million projects, them not going ahead is actually probably a good thing overall for yeah. the industry because Easy. obviously those massive projects need a huge okay. amount of workers. Mm. There's, there's way too much of a shortage of workers. So mm. a few of those not happening makes it, Hopefully, a bit better in the next six to twelve months for the, oh, the smaller the project. smaller projects, mm. uh, which is what most people are buying into, right? I mean, and that's yeah. I mean, I would think from your perspective, I mean, generally buying in smaller projects is is better longer term than, mm. than the major yeah. major projects. Yeah, certainly from an investment perspective, higher land to asset ratio, and um, usually much lower body corporate fees. Mm. But it depends on you know the buyer's needs and circumstances, of course. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, look, I don't know, that's been a pretty good wrap. I think we've, we've learned a little bit. We've talked about a few things there. So 
But if people want to get in touch with you guys to um, to talk finance, how do they do that? Uh, so website, Stack Capital, that's Stack without a K, S-T-A-C, Capital. Um, or they can uh, give us a call, one three hundred double O stac We'll pop the. We will pop the. It will um, be in the show notes. Yeah, the <laughs> contact details in the show numbers. No one ever remembers their own one three hundred number. <laughs> <laughs> I would never clue about ours. So, <laughs> oh, but look, thank you very much for coming to have a chat. It's been great. Um, yeah, thanks no, for doubt, me on. no doubt we'll catch up again. Um, it's been good. Good to um, pull your brain apart and, and know who's borrowing money in that, especially that development side of it. It's always yeah. an interesting thing to keep an eye on. So. Um, look, thanks very much, Mark. I will let Melinda wrap it up as we normally do. And um, that's all from me. So talk next week. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Really appreciate all of your intel today. Cool, thank you. And um, as Mark has pointed out, um, you know, long term, I think this just shows that there's potentially a pending supply issue uh, for Brisbane. We just feel like we're kicking the can down the road a little bit. So um, something to keep in mind because property values are always driven by the balance between supply and demand. But look, I'm not going to keep going on about it. Thanks for tuning in once again. As always, if you do enjoy our content, please share with family and friends. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and uh, we would love for you to leave us a review. Have a fabulous week and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.